Welcome back. This is the 30th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me today is Canadian singer-songwriter and producer, Jesse Lanza. Classically trained musician, Jessie has been making music most of her life. While her critically acclaimed first album, Pull My Hair Back, released in 2013 on Hyperdub. Since then, she's been creating a steady collection of work, a mixture of pop electronica and R&B that has seen her nominated for the Polaris Music Prize twice. As in her previous records, the lyrics on her latest album, 2020's All The Time, delve into her own story, often touching on deeply personal issues in a uniquely intriguing way. In this conversation, we look back on Jessie's songwriting influences, her creative process, and her personal approach to storytelling. Thanks for asking. So obviously I was reading a lot of your interviews before we met up to talk today. And something that you said that really stuck with me was a lot of the songs I wrote as recently as five years ago were pretty embarrassing. Some of the songs that I write today are embarrassing as well. It's just that no one hears them. And I I really like that. And I wonder if you think that that's an important part of good songwriting is just kind of being able to embarrass yourself a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think it's like the root of being creative is that you have to let yourself be vulnerable and for some people being vulnerable is embarrassing (laughs) so so yeah I I guess what I was talking about there was just that in order to write I think in my opinion in order to have an album of good songs you have to have like at least a dozen or two dozen or three dozen really bad embarrassing songs that you would never want (laughs) anybody to hear and that's just part of the process. Yeah, I was going to say another way to describe that kind of embarrassment is vulnerability or I guess honesty. Uh, so is that something you have in mind when you're when you're making music, like putting forth that vulnerability in your songs? Yeah, it's something I'm learning to do. And I think the more that I write and the more I the longer I spend like working on recordings and, and also the longer I work on myself as a person, like even describing like changing the word from embarrassment to being vulnerable and like um, honesty. It's like being, I think being honest for a lot of my life was really difficult. Like not that I'm calling myself a liar, but I I think it's like a very common thing for people to just be out of touch with how they actually feel, you know? Um, I think if yesterday was an indication of anything like you know all the political turmoil that's going on is an indication of how easy it is for people to just like live in denial uh-huh. um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying sorry not to get too heavy but I just I think 
I'm thinking about that so much. And um, yeah, it's fun to play a role uh, while I'm writing songs, but it's also, I think, really fun to be honest too, because I haven't spent a lot of my time doing that writing songs. Mm -hmm. And so when you say it was hard for you to be honest earlier in your life, do you think that was just like a lack of confidence or like a trust thing or like just a shyness? Yeah, exactly. Like lack of confidence, like not really knowing, not having much certainty about what I was doing, like dealing with a lot of expectations that were put on me as a young musician, like both by my parents and by peers around me, you know, like something I remember from being um, like way before like my record came out or, or way before anybody like was listening to my music. Like I remember this older guy told me that I would do a lot better if I spelt my name Jesse with an I and a heart and a heart. <laughs> oh, wow. Like I could really get somewhere if. If I basically infantilized myself. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe that. So it's just that. And, and, you know, it's like you have to be tough about that sort of advice because it happens all the time to, to lots of people. So, um, but yeah, I guess that's what I mean. Just kind of like keeping that stuff out. So do you also feel that sense of vulnerability when you're sharing your initial ideas and work with someone like in those kind of situations that you just mentioned and also in the sense of sharing your personal experiences and emotions or did you at some point feel like that sense of embarrassment that we that we've been talking about? Yeah, I, at first like before I met Jeremy Greenspan who is my co-producer and co-writer on on the music that I've put out so far on Hyperdub like I I did feel like, I don't know, I just, when I met Jeremy, it really clicked that, like, he was somebody I could be vulnerable around. Um, and then we we were a couple, too, so that obviously helped in that we were partners. So um, it was easier to um, be vulnerable around him. But also, you know, we're not together anymore, and we, we still work on music, just because I think he's a very understanding and open person. I've known him since I was a kid. And I think that um, that helps. And so how did you or how do you overcome that nervousness or shyness with your ideas? Like, is it just, uh, you know, you've been working with Jeremy for so long. Obviously, you're super comfortable with him. So do you ever sometimes still feel that vulnerability today with him or with other producers or people that you're working with? Yeah, with other like I'm I'm working I'm trying to like take that step outside my comfort zone and like the way I deal with nervousness and you know I I do therapy like three times a week like I really you know like I need a lot of coping <laughs> mechanisms just to be um yeah kind of uh normal do normal things exchange ideas normally and like little by little I'm like coming out of this um hole but it takes, it's a lot, yeah. Therapy has been really helpful for me as well, just in the sense of like being able to talk to people in a, in a way where I don't feel like I have to entertain them. I relate to that so much. It's just like feeling like you're uh, putting on a performance for everybody all the time. And I get it. So you spoke to Clash 
magazine recently, and you said that you feel like, as you just mentioned, uh, that you're kind of becoming a little bit more fearless with your work. Uh, You mentioned something about making liner notes for your new record. So why was that such a big step for you? Um, I think the the lyrics, I thought uh, uh, something I've heard about, said about the music in the past is like, I can't understand a word that she's saying. And like, you know, not that people didn't like the songs, but they couldn't understand the lyrics. And like, I was just going through a lot writing the last album. And I thought that there were words that I would, I I didn't feel embarrassed to have the lyrics on a sheet and for people to be able to know exactly what I was saying. So that felt like a step towards being okay with vulnerability, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's interesting what you say about people not understanding or or not being able to hear the lyrics properly. Or, uh, Yeah, I never thought about that. Um, but I think it's definitely, as you said, a really huge step to like put it out there in words. I feel the same way sometimes when I'm writing. And it makes me very uncomfortable when people read my writing, especially if they're in front of me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So do you think that that kind of courage or fearlessness just sort of comes with age and experience like you're just getting more comfortable in your own skin um no I I mean maybe but I think it's just it's a lot of work you know I I think it's just hard work to not I think some people can live their whole lives not really knowing who they are or what they really want um and I think I just reached a point where I saw myself going in that direction. And I think it, it really is like a, a lot of work to just intervene on yourself and just try to be really honest with like, what is going to make me happy? Like, what, what do I really want? Um, do you think you'll ever want to stop feeling a little bit vulnerable? Like I've said this before in interviews that I've done. Uh, and I know with my own work, it's good for me to feel a little bit nervous or a bit like I'm out of my comfort zone all the time pretty much because it means that I care and that I want to do well and that I'm you know feeling passionate so what about for you yeah yeah as much as like I'm you know I don't I I deal with feeling like it doesn't feel great to be anxious about things I think you're totally right that you know I think it's more just like being okay with it like not living in fear of those feelings and like recognizing that like this is this is natural this is not something to run away from but just something to you know it it's going to pass and you're going to feel good about it later but yeah it's just kind of facing those feelings rather than kind of living in fear of them because I think you're right if it's worth it if you're passionate about it then those feelings they're never going to go away it's just like learning how to deal with them Mm -hmm. so how does that feeling impact or influence you as a performer like recently I spoke with the singer Leanne La Havis and she said that as a songwriter she's previously written about some tough experiences and like really put her really put her own emotions into her songs and that when it came to actually performing those songs she found herself getting really overwhelmed and crying during shows because it was just all very emotional so is that something that's happened to you or do you just kind of in a in a different headspace when you're performing yeah, I think I'm too blocked off to I mean that that sounds like a really intense experience. I'm like envious of it in a in a way, but I do put myself in a different I I think I I really change when I go on tour just so that I can like get get through it. Um 
learning how to make eye contact with the audience was like a huge <laughs> a huge thing and it sounds like so so silly but like yeah i don't know there's a vulnerability there that like um i had to get over mm-hmm. get over myself i guess yeah i uh, i've interviewed a couple of like bigger artists who often say that it's actually the smaller shows that make them more nervous because you can actually see people's faces in the audience and like potentially make eye contact with someone and that's a bit more stressful for them than actually like a huge stadium show kind of thing yeah which is I've I've heard that that too um yeah it's it is strange so you've talked about this a fair bit in other interviews that you kind of disguise the sometimes like melancholy personal lyrics or themes or tones in your songs with this kind of upbeat production. So would you say that that disguise somehow makes it easier for you to share your kind of personal feelings or stories with your listeners? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a vehicle that I use to like try and not be such a such a bummer all all the time like because in my personal life it's like I've always grown up around people telling me like I'm cynical I'm too cynical like Mm -hmm. I'm always hating on things and I've heard that my whole life and so I I think that whether I'm like conscious of that or not I I think I'm trying to like insert some positivity into the music even though like I don't feel positive a lot of the time, um, but I don't know, just try But that's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain, like, I just think about, like, life. I just think about, like, day-to-day life being out in the world, and it's just always um, a mix of, like, the very wonderful and the very disturbing and horrible, and just you're just supposed to deal with it. And in some way, I think I'm trying to incorporate that feeling into my music. It's not easy. I I have trouble even like articulating it, you know. Can you maybe give me an example of this kind of disguise that we were talking about? Like I know uh, with Ice Creamy from All the Time, it's quite like a psychedelic number, but it's actually about your struggle using painkillers. You don't have to talk about that one, but maybe if you have another example that you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, that one's... That I'm I'm happy to to well not happy to talk about it but I <laughs> uh, yeah just it, the song started out like I I think I didn't realize that I was talking about really loving painkillers I was starting I made it into like kind of a sexual song like a song about like you know wanting to be with somebody who's you know, you know, you shouldn't be with. And then after the fact, it's like, oh, this is really just about taking tramadol, you know, and and using that to deal with being on tour um, and flying and being isolated and being anxious all the time.
I hesitated even like talking about it, about what it was really about, because I was thinking how people might see me or like my family might see me or like my partner's family might see me if they read something like that. And, you know, it's um, but I decided that I, I, I would because I'm just trying to be more honest. <laughs> so, And so I think, first of all, I think it's really important to talk about these kind of things and for there not to be sort of a stigma around it. But how has it been for you, like when your family read that interview or when your partner's family read that interview? I mean, my family is quite different from my partner's family. Like my family kind of, I don't want to say celebrates drug addiction, but they are... Um, they're more tolerant of it. Um, mm-hmm. whereas like my partner's family is, they are not. So, <laughs> um, certainly like, I, I, I don't know. My, my family doesn't take a lot of things, mm-hmm. doesn't take a lot of things seriously because they see like that I'm okay, even though sometimes I'm, I'm not, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's a hard thing to talk about. I think I just like, yeah, got very shy about it because I don't really know. So do you think that that song would be as impactful as it is if it was like a big ballad or had this kind of dark or sad sound to it? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. That's a tough question. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know how to answer. What role does that sort of tension between these kind of darker themes and like a more upbeat production what what role does that tension play for you as a songwriter like is it necessary for all your songs to kind of have that tension in them because I guess otherwise they would just be regular pop songs yeah that I haven't really thought about that so much I mean I do write songs that don't really mean anything at all like that are just I don't know things that I might be looking at out the window of my studio and and actually just try to get away from the heavy stuff for a little bit but yeah I mean one thing I do find is that I it's usually in in hindsight that I can tell what the song is actually about mm-hmm. sometimes the intention to write about something heavy isn't isn't even there I'm not aware of it while I'm writing it there's a line in an interview in Loud and Quiet that you did um, that says that that kind of ambiguity is what makes your music so accessible because it welcomes both the kind of Ableton producer as well as the like pop kid. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I I think um, I think everybody is a bit of a producer now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and yeah I and I think it is definitely I see the way that people connect with like one thing about like you know COVID has been so terrible um but being able to do these videos from home I noticed the way that people connect with like my setup and like having these videos with my my things that I use in the in the background like the people really connect with that um it's so accessible that yeah everyone is kind of not everyone but a lot of people are experimenting in that world for sure so would you say that's also kind of a fair assessment of your own maybe personality as a musician like I know that you grew up listening to Janet Jackson and Paula Abdul and you're also 
an established electronic producer and a live act. Uh, maybe you can talk a bit about that sort of balance between the two. Yeah, I, I think my draw to pop music is just really that pop music is that it's accessible and that it's not it's like anti-elite in this way that really resonates with me that it's like on the radio that it's something that you can come across while you're driving it's like a point of connection and like at the same time I really don't like any of the pop music that's out right now. And I think of like a few years ago where it was like I was more optimistic and and that's changed, but I I don't know, the sentiment is still there where I like the spirit of it. <laughs> I like the spirit of of the of the hook. What do you think brought out that change for you? Um I think just a lot of like sameness like just not much variation for just a lot of hypersexualization, which I really I I don't know how I feel about it a, a lot of a lot of it doesn't make me feel comfortable at all I think there's a really hard expectation there um, and then that the music is just bad uh, <laughs> I think that it's just, it, I actually thinking about it more I think it is as simple as that is like I just don't think a lot of the songwriting is very good so has it been challenging for you to kind of walk this line between you know pop music and the more like nerdy electronic music side of things like do you feel like people maybe try to box you into being one or the other people expect you to be one or the other I think being on hyperdub, like there's a certain expectation that I'm gonna sound a certain way or be a a certain way, and that's one of the things I like the most about working with hyperdub is that they don't really care about <clears throat> about that expectation and um, are just into what I do because they they like my music. There's an interview that you did around the time you played the Bach reinterpretation at Mutech in Montreal. Uh, and you commented afterwards that obviously you enjoyed doing the show, but it somehow felt like a little bit serious for you and that you prefer to kind of have a bit more fun when you're making and playing music. So can you talk about that? Like, is that still, you know, the, the, the I don't know, line in the sand that you have to be sort of having fun to make music? Yeah, I wish that... I think that playing like the Bach inventions in that context, I think because growing up playing classical music, it was not fun for me. I felt I felt a lot of pressure and I think that I was just kind of being a little like, I don't know, I don't want to say like self-important when I made that comment, but it's like, <laughs> I think I was just personalizing it a bit too much. Like I can see how if you were more comfortable playing Bach inventions, that would be really fun. But for me, it, I think it like brought back bad memories or something of like my con my conservatory exams. And, and it was also, I think the first time I played really at a festival at that level. So I was terrified too. Yeah. I mean, Mutech is also quite a like serious music festival in some ways. Like there's a lot of these kind of more sit down performances and things like that. So I think if that's not for you, then Mutech can be kind of a an intimidating place. 
yeah yeah at, at, and then at, at the same at the same time it was like we did our show and then we like went into like the jeff mills show and uh. everyone was just like <laughs> freaking out and i was like this is a better vibe than here <laughs> i like <this. laughs> so If you're enjoying air and you'd like to hear more stories like these ones check out bear radio berlin's english-speaking podcasting community air is proudly produced in partnership with bear radio which is home to some other really incredible shows a personal favorite of mine is paul hanford's lost and sound in which via conversations with djs and music tastemakers paul uncovers how people come together through music Lost and Sound is now in its third season, with episodes being recorded remotely all around the world. The Corona Diaries is by Jill and Julia of Bear Radio, who explore our day-to-day during this global pandemic. They speak to friends, journalists, economists, and epidemiologists to check in on how things are going during these weird times. One last recommendation is another Berlin-based show, Mixtape Menage, which gets to know artists and musicians through their music collection. There are currently 24 podcasts and hundreds of episodes available for you, so head to bearradio.org to listen. So can you tell me a bit more about your songwriting process? Like, what does your process typically look like when you sit down to, or maybe you don't sit down to write music, but I know with your production process... It involves a lot of sort of experimentation, but I'm wondering if that's similar to when you're writing lyrics or is, is it a bit more deliberate? Um, no, it, yeah, it usually always starts, these things just kind of happen by by accident a, a lot of the time, like unless I'm, um, I've heard a song that I really want to figure out what's going on, like that's always deliberate, but yeah, it usually just comes from like loops just like just drum loops and like going through old files that's how I start a lot of songs is like ideas that I did and I, I forgot about and trying to build off of those but yeah it's it's always I find if I like unless I'm really upset and I have like a burning idea which to be honest like really seldom happens to me um the intention is like that I just need to kind of get something happening and it might be bad or it might turn into something good. But yeah, I don't have a hard time with like the, I don't know. I'm always very envious of people who are just like, I just had this song in my head and like I, I had to get it out. And I just, I wish I, I don't really know how that feels. I was going to say there's some producers who are like, I only go into the studio if I have an idea and then I sit down and I do the idea and then it's done, which that doesn't really compute to me either. I'm more of a like, sometimes if I need to write something, then I just start writing and it will be bad and then it, it's bad until it's good, I guess. Yeah, totally. 
How has it been for you being in lockdown and trying to write and make music? Like I was speaking to Juliana Huxtable recently. She's a poet and a musician. And she was saying that because for her, writing is such a kind of solitary act. Usually being in lockdown hasn't actually been that different for her. Uh, what has it been like for you? Yeah, I I totally connect with that um, idea of like, being, oh, I'm always alone when I'm in in my studio and like yeah it, it hasn't being in lockdown hasn't changed all that much I mean not being around my family is certainly the biggest change and like but yeah it my day-to-day -day life is really not that much different except there's no tours um so that's different <laughs> but but yeah I I do miss the um uh, Jeremy Greenspan, who like uh, writes and produces all the music with me, like I do miss like being able to go to his studio and just like hang out there with like all his his stuff, like all his gear, and and that I I do miss that. But yeah, day to day, it's really not all that much different. Mm. Do you find yourself more creative or more inspired these days? I have been more creative to my surprise. I didn't see that happening at the beginning, but I, yeah, I'm almost done a new album, which wow. I'm really happy that that's panned out. And I think it's all because I've just had this nice place to work um, because we're staying with, or I'm staying with my in-laws right now. Um, and I'm in this like little wooden cabin that's on their property. And, I have the space to work. So that, that's been, I just feel so lucky to have a quiet space with four walls. Maybe we can talk a bit more about your songwriting influences. I know that you're obviously really into R&B and of course that shows through in your music. So I'd love to know a bit more about which artists have or continue to kind of inspire your songwriting in terms of lyricism, like which artists are inspiring for you in terms of how you tell the stories that you tell? My mood always changes with the the songwriters that I go to when I'm in my studio. Like sometimes I'm in the mood for like the older R&B songs like Alexander O'Neill. And then sometimes I want to like go kind of more fun, like poppy direction. And so like I go down the Yellow Magic Orchestra Road, like or Harumi Hisono and Yukihiro Takahashi is like a really big one for me that I really find that I don't know there's just something really special about the way that um him and Hiromi Sono write songs um that I can't quite put my finger on I feel like when I'm writing my own music I'm always like chasing whatever that quality is <laughs> yeah writing that line of like being poppy and playful but not saccharine and not sweet not too sweet and not too corny it's like it's like smooth jazz into the weather network music you know what I mean like the line is really <laughs> it's like that's my favorite kind of music is that it's almost terrible but it's mm -hmm. there's something that keeps it that's like the best kind of music to me mm -hmm. there's a guardian article about you that compares your music with this term that I guess was like coined by Todd Rundgren, who's in the band Utopia. Um, and he says, R&B without the histrionics slash melodrama. 
Um, he says that he prefers artists like Frank Ocean over someone like Beyonce because he thinks that Frank Ocean is capturing a more sincere feeling. Um, I don't know. I personally like a bit of melodrama in music. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know, but I think it's also, as you say, a fine line between, uh, yeah, I guess seeming like it's too over the top and also holding back a bit, you know? Yeah, I I totally know. I know what you mean, for sure. Obviously, that's something that you, as you just said, kind of have to be careful of for your own work. Uh, Do you think that also having that kind of worry or anxiety about it also puts a lot of pressure on yourself? Like, does it make it harder to create things because you're kind of worrying about treading that line? Yeah, and I try to I try to let go of it and just like let it let it happen. Like kind of what you said about like it's it's bad until it's not or it's good or, or maybe it's just going to continue to be bad and then you just let it go. <laughs> but either way, it's the thing. The best thing to do is just to like continue on and like not be not cling so tightly to your ideas or give any credence to this idea that like this is the last thing you're gonna like this is the only good thing that you're gonna do and like this is it because that's just not true but I really have to like shake out of Uh myself like that that this is gonna be it for me like Uh this is the last good idea I'm ever gonna have Yeah, I was speaking with uh, Olafur Arnolds, who's a pianist, and he said something similar, which is that um, when he was younger, he was saying yes to like every project because he felt like that was going to be the last good opportunity that he got to do something that was like really amazing. So he was just like saying yes and yes and yes. And then lately, as he's been getting older and kind of getting more experience, he's realized that actually it's okay to say no because good opportunities will still come to you. Like, has it been uh, challenging for you to? start letting go of, of those kind of expectations of yourself? Yeah, totally. I struggle with saying yes and no all, all the time. Um, yeah, it's a struggle <laughs> for sure. So apparently your background in jazz has helped you to have the ability to hear and lift chord progressions. Uh, can you explain a bit about what that means exactly or maybe how it works for you or how it benefits you on a musical level? Yeah, um, so just from being involved in the the Royal Conservatory, like doing piano studies, like one of the big elements was ear tests and being able to identify intervals and like major minor chords. And um, I find it just helps so much uh, when I'm listening to other people's music that it's like I can hear a chord progression and just know what's going on and and then I'm able to incorporate that into my own um into my own songs and uh yeah and that that's like the the jumping off point for me that's like always been the springboard for my own music so I I didn't realize it at the time how significant that was going to be um but yeah I'm really happy that I had that experience because I never was very good at just like kind of natural like playing by ear kind of needed I needed to a teacher I needed to be like instructed I know that that also gave you a sort of adept understanding of R&B so why is that like what is the relation between the two yeah just you know the 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 progression from like you know like gospel 
to to R&B and just like hearing hearing that influence of gospel and and church music and like the 90s like R&B stars that I loved when I was in middle school like like Monica like one of my favorite songs when I was I don't know I guess 11 or 12 was this song called Angel of Mine and I got the I got the sheet music for it and like it's basically just a, a gospel song and and it's all just pro- progressions you would hear in in church music maybe maybe like more modern church music obviously but um mm-hmm. being able to see those changes in the actual like sheet music you just see it's so clear to see the the connection there's a great interview where Jeremy says that you know the chords to just about any R&B song of the last 15 years, and that if you don't, you can kind of sit down and figure it out in a few minutes. So what does that give you, or how does that benefit you as an electronic music producer slash performer? I think it's so fun to take something, take a chord progression you've heard so many times, and then you put it on like... A different instrument you like put it through you know any one of like the software instruments that I have that will just completely change the the tonal quality away from like uh like a gospel like piano chord progression and then it just takes on a new a new life and so I think it's really fun to experiment with taking those like really kind of traditional progressions and, and putting them on your synthesizers or the the drum beats on your drum it just totally changes the the life and spirit of them so in the same way that you're kind of um you know taking inspiration from music that you love do you hope that people are using your songs as part of their own repertoire or part of their music making process yeah totally that's like the hugest compliment um yeah i've had people come up to me and say you know I had a file on my computer that I named like Jesse Lanza and and that's just like I can't think of a bigger compliment than that 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 listening to the music not only do they like it but it inspires them to write their own it's like that's just the hugest compliment mm-hmm. and so uh with things like sampling for example, can you give me some examples of samples that you've used or like weird places that you found them in the past that have kind of filtered into your own work? Yeah, um, there are like, you know, a lot of like the stand, like, you know, YouTube um, videos. I mean, usually for the last album, for all the time, I really gravitated towards YouTube videos of people being really angry, of people having like kind of public meltdown it's just really capped and like often they were filming themselves, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I didn't really even feel too bad about it because it was both the action of them filming themselves and posting it. Um, for whatever reason, I gravitated towards those. I think cause I myself was feeling like I was having like rage issues at the time <laughs> as well. But yeah, there's like you- YouTube stuff and a lot of samples from like movies like I have this huge sample library that I did of like Conan the Barbarian the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie like that Uh that movie has so many the soundtrack is so weird and there's so many weird sounds on it but yeah a lot of movies 
and and YouTube videos. R&B, uh, what would you say distinguishes R&B lyrics or sounds or music from other genres? Like what makes a song R&B rather than soul or hip hop or jazz or whatever else? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to answer it. I think that it has, that there's more of like, uh, it has that dance element to it. Like n- not that you can't, because you can certainly dance to to soul music too but i don't know that that's the one thing when you asked the question it was just like i immediately think of like r&b music has that like not that it like demands you to dance but it i don't know it just seems like the intention is there more so than than jazz or soul there's like something about dancing and connecting those are the words that I think of when you when you say R&B so do you think there's also maybe a certain like sensuality that is associated with R&B like I think also in your work I think that that's also really present like is that something that interests you about the genre uh yeah definitely for sure and I don't think I was conscious of that when I was really young and listening to it like when I was 10 I like didn't pick up didn't pick up on like (laughs) the what Missy Elliott was really talking about on like super duper flat like it just didn't but there was something that was just so appealing about it and like a little like kind of bad like just that I knew that it was like a bit like my friend and I would listen to it so her parents couldn't couldn't hear you know and uh yeah there definitely is a, a sensuality there that um, definitely appealed to me from a young age. And so how do you reflect on your own place within R&B in general, like especially as a white artist taking inspiration from and having success within a historically black genre? Like, is that something that you're thinking about, especially in the times that we're in right now? Yeah, I, I think about it all the time. And what I always come back to is like, I loved... Like, R&B music is pop music to me. It's, like, the biggest genre. R&B music has been a huge part of my life since before I even was cognizant of my my place in the world um, or, like, who who I am or, like, the privileges that I have because of, of, of who I am. And it's just always been my favorite genre of music and the music that I love the the most. So that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the core and that's what's important. And 
what I always, um, yeah, remember about it is, yeah, and, and R&B music just is, it is pop music, you know, it's, I think it like reigns supreme in, in the world, it's the music that, that everybody is, um, is listening to, so, but yeah, I, I certainly think about it all the time. And so what other genres do you hope to pull from or maybe even work within in the future? Like I know that you don't really like to be pigeonholed and you also love a lot of different types of music. Um, so would we see like a death metal influence in your in your music one day, for example? No. <laughs> I can say. <laughs> I can say with a lot of certainty that that will never happen. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I never, I always wanted to learn how to play guitar, but my dad was such an asshole about teaching me that it it never happened. So I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> uh, so I know that seeing other people play is also something that's a big inspiration for you in terms of what you'll make or what you'll write next. So how has it been for you these days, like not being able to go out to shows? Uh, you mentioned that you're actually feeling more creative, but I wonder how that's how that's impacting you, if at all. Yeah, I I've gravitated towards um, uh, people's YouTube channels. Like Speedy J is doing this um, on his YouTube channel. He has this whole series called like Knob Twiddlers or something. And so they'll do a jam. Yeah, they'll do a jam, and then everybody will talk about their studios and their setups and like so that's been like my my fix of like seeing like how people are doing what they're doing and their gear and but but yeah gravitating towards people's like youtube channels has been the main thing yeah i guess it's good because a lot of people are doing like streams or at least they were like in the first lockdown a lot of people were doing sort of streams and then it be kind of came like stream overload and it sort of stopped I guess it's a bit strange so what are your hopes for when this time resolves itself eventually um what are you most looking forward to doing when things kind of sort themselves out I'm really looking forward to going back to Canada getting getting my um yeah just being there and, and seeing my family I'm, I'm really looking forward to and um yeah, just all the normal things, going to a restaurant, um, <laughs> and uh, hopefully, I mean, maybe when we do go back to shows, that will be, like, my first public, like, meltdown, because I think it is going to be really overwhelming, <laughs> like, I can't, I can just, I know it's not going to happen for a long time, you know, so I, I certainly fantasize about that, that moment of everybody being able to be in the same place and just how special that is. Like I was watching the new, um, you know, uh, Frederick Wiseman has like a new movie called city hall. He's like a documentarian. The movie's like four hours long. It's like, it's, it's all about Boston city hall and what happens there. And it's just long shots of just, it's like verite. Like anyway, so there was this image of, of Fenway park of everybody. It was obviously pre covid and like everybody just being at the baseball game and everyone was so happy and it just like it just hit me so i just like started 
crying like kind of I'm just like oh my god this is like so special and so important to people and I just it's just been taken for granted so anyway um I don't give a shit about going to a baseball game but just just being around people you know in a normal way will be really nice yeah definitely and so what about musically you mentioned that you have a new album coming up yeah I don't know when it's gonna come out but it is almost done so yeah, hopefully, like, when we, when shows are back. I don't know if I, I want to put out an album again um, without being able to play shows. Maybe I'll have to. But yeah, on the, on the horizon, for sure. Let me go. Let me go. You want love? Got a game. let me You've been listening to singer-songwriter Jesse Lanza for Air Podcast. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of every month with another episode. So please join us again in February. Thanks for listening. Thank you.